0: chapter 8, still in our series on the Christian and prosperity, seeking to avoid the extremes and yet giving faith that uh, the Lord does desire to prosper his people spiritually and in terms of their families and their education and even financially we've uh, seen that. Our theme verse being 3 John verse 2. And uh, let's read here, Ezra 8, and verses 24 through 26. Hear the word of the Lord. And I separated twelve of the leaders of the priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their brethren with them, and weighed out to them the silver, the gold, and the articles, the offering for the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all Israel who were present had offered. I weighed into their hands 650 talents of silver, silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 gold basins worth a thousand drachmas, and two vessels of fine polished bronze, precious as gold. And I said to them, You are holy to the Lord. The articles are holy also, and the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord God of your fathers. Watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leaders of the priests and the Levites and heads of the fathers' houses of Israel in Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites received the silver and the gold and the articles by weight to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. Then we departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem, and the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. So we came to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. Now on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the articles were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Miramoth, the son of Uriah the priest. And with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. With them were the Levites, Jozabad, <clears throat> the son of Yeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benui. With the number and weight of everything, all the weight was written down at that time. The children of those who had been carried away captive would come from the captivity offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel twelve bulls for all Israel, ninety-six rams, seventy-seven lambs, and twelve male goats as a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord, and they delivered the king's orders to the king's satraps and the governors in the region beyond the river. So they gave support to the people and the house of God. Amen. Father God, we submit our hearts to your word. We thank you that in everything that it says, uh, it gives a light to our path. Uh, we, Father, are seeking to live, uh, not just by those favorite passages of ours, but to live as Christ commanded us, by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. I pray that you would keep my lips from error and enable uh, me to preach this clearly and effectively to the hearts of the people. And, Father, give all of us listening, uh, ears, and obedient hearts. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> may be seated. <coughs> Some of the most boring sections of the Bible are sections that deal with um, accounting and clear record keeping. And I was thinking last week, I shouldn't have even told you guys what I was preaching on because half the congregation might stay away. (laughs) I mean, it's uh, not exactly the most popular subject to talk on is uh, accounting. But the scripture says an enormous amount about it. For example, the book of Numbers uh, deals not only with accounting of soldiers that are available but of money, temple articles, land, loot, and many other things. There's a lot of Christians that think, in order to be spiritual, we've got to be spontaneous. And uh, I I want to disabuse you of that uh, notion because the Bible not only highly values plans and goals, but it highly, highly values record-keeping and close, detailed accounting. And it ties it in with spirituality, and I hope to demonstrate that today. Um, because Christians are so skeptical many times about the need for plans and record keeping and tracking, I thought I should at least give a little bit of motivation by showing that it's biblical, that it's very, very important, and it relates to everything that we do. Now, I thought I'd start by giving a, a definition from a standard accounting book. It's Migs and Migs. And uh, they say this about accounting. <clears throat> Some people think of accounting as a highly technical field which is practiced and understood only by professional accountants. Actually, nearly everyone practices accounting in one form or another on almost a daily basis. Accounting is the art of interpreting, measuring, and communicating the results of economic activities. And they go on to point out that anytime you're dealing with the allocation of scarce resources, whether it's people resources or something else, it's accounting. Okay, that's in the broad sense. So accounting is inescapable. The question is not whether to account or not to account. The question is, are you good at it or are you lousy at it? And uh, are we willing to learn? Are we willing to grow in this area? And I believe that this is an essential ingredient to long-term prosperity in the Christian uh, 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 camp. And it's not just financial um, accounting. Most of this sermon is going to be dealing with accounting in the area of finances. But the applications are far broader than that. They really cover every area of our lives. Uh, scripture over and over indicates we ought not to just do it in our heads. We ought to record it. We ought to have uh, the ability to report it to others. It needs to be verifiable. We need to have inventory of time, possessions, education, chores. And if we're flying by the seat of our pants, we're not going to do nearly as well as if we really begin to learn the principles of accounting. And I thought what I'd do today is I, I'd start with a test. And uh, just so you can see how well you do, what percentage you do, I'm going to have 10 questions. And uh, each question you get right, you can give yourself 10%, or you can just stick up a, a finger, or if there aren't too many fingers, you can start hiding them behind your hand. But uh, you'll be able to calculate very quickly uh, uh, where you're at. Here's number one. Do you have a will? Number two, do you know what your bottom line net worth is? Number three, this is one for time. Do you have a schedule that covers all of the things that you are responsible for? Uh, and you might add to that, do you have a to-do list that goes along with that? Here's number four. Have you been systematically working on your spiritual improvement? And do you know what successes that you've had over the past five years? Here's one for health, number five. And if you get any one of the three parts right, you can give yourself a brownie point for health, okay? Um, do you have a record of immunizations for all of your children? And if you don't believe in immunizations, some people don't. No problem. Uh, here's another part. Do you have a record of when your kids have last seen the doctor or when they've seen the dentist? Uh, or do you have a record of some some sort of their health issues? Now, number six, here's one for your shop, and my kids will laugh at me because I'm frequently not able to find my tools. Uh, In fact, I was very convicted this past week. I was going over this, and I think, I need to straighten out my garage. So on work day, uh, everything got into its place, and a place for everything. But here's number six. Do you have a place for each one of your tools, and are they kept in good condition? Now, if you don't have a shop, uh, we can apply for the same question, are your closets, and your cupboards and your drawers neatly kept so that you can find things fairly quickly. Now, you don't have to be as intense about your organization as Kathy Cruz is in her kitchen, uh, but are you organized, you know, in 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 your closets? You can give yourself a brownie point, 10% for that. And by the way, don't be getting ticked off at me, you know, throwing rotten tomatoes, because the purpose for this test here is not to make you feel bad, but to say, yes, I need this sermon. This is something exactly where where uh, I need to be listening. Number seven, uh, have you removed unedifying books from your library? And are you bringing an inventory of good books into your house? Now, if you don't even know what's in your library, you can't count this one. Number eight, do you have food inventories clearly organized? You're always having to make multiple trips to the grocery store, you know, two, three trips to the grocery store, think, oh, I forgot to buy such and such. Got to go back there again. Do you have an inventory? Okay, number nine, do you have a systematic Bible reading program so that you know exactly how much of the Bible that you've read over the past year? And I'll be easy on you on this one. If you don't do that, you can still count for this one if you've got a prayer list and you've got the requests and the answers listed out. Either one of those, you can give yourself 10%. Number 10, do you keep an accurate accounting of all expenditures that you make, whether it's a checkbook or whether it's your uh, cash uh, spending? Some people have only cash accounts, that's fine. You have an accurate record of those expenditures, uh, perhaps receipts or some way of doing it, so that at the end of the year you can evaluate, have I been handling my my finances and my acquisition of assets, have I been handling it in a, in a proper way? Now, how many people here uh, got all 10 right? Good, because I was going to say I was going to strangle you if you did. <laughs> no, I wasn't going to say that, uh, because... <clears throat> uh, you're really doing well if you got all ten. And I was going to say to those who got all ten right, please pray for the rest of us guys that are struggling along in these areas. Uh, this is something I think Christians need to really work through. It's, uh, it's an issue that we fall on. We do good for a while and then we fall back on. But I think it's something that covers all of life. Uh, let's go to Rom- Roman numeral number two. What should be accounted for? Uh, Obviously, we're dealing with all of life, and I'm just going to give you a few samples from the scripture of where that's true. And in the process of doing this, I want to teach a few accounting principles. Now, in in one sermon, there's no way that you can cover all of the principles that would need to be covered, but I don't want to do two sermons on this. I'll have a house of about ten people next week. So, what I'm going to do instead is, as I go through some of these different areas, I'm going to pull out some reasons. And then we're going to do the same thing as we go through Roman numeral number three. So, if you would, please turn with me to Proverbs 27, Proverbs 27 and verse 23. And this one is dealing with the importance of knowing the condition of your assets. Not just that you have assets or how many that you have, but what is the condition of those assets? Okay, Proverbs 27, verses 23 through 24. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. And he goes on to show how it relates to our prosperity. But we'll just stop there. There's four facts that are relevant to our sermon here. And the first one is that uh, wealth is not static. Whether you're talking about flocks on a farm or whether you're talking about stocks that you... Uh, own on the New York Stock Exchange. It's important to know there is constant change that's going on uh, Maybe a disease infects your your flocks and if you're not on top of it You're not aware of what's going on and take corrective action. It can wipe out the flock too many rams in the field can weaken the flock or um, maybe a ram that's uh, poor genetically can affect it but there's constant change anywhere that you look uh, if you look at the stocks that were available and the 1800s, very few of them are available today. So the first principle is that wealth is not static. Second, this means that shepherds need to analyze their flocks. Now, one version has the second phrase this way. Pay close attention. Okay, the specific details of how many sheep you have, how many new lambs were born this particular week, what diseases do we have, which ewes are, are bullying other ewes. I mean, those are essential to know if they're going to prosper and their farming endeavor. <clears throat> uh, so you have to have some way to analyze your assets. Accounting enables you to do that. The third fact is that it takes diligence to keep on top of the changes. Actually, it takes time too. That's not mentioned in the proverb here, uh, but it, uh, many times it feels like you're wasting time, you know, to organize and to plan. But you've got to waste time so that you're not wasting time and and uh, assets down the road. But Primarily, we're talking here about it takes diligence to keep on top of it. The fourth fact is that this is a command. It's not an option if we are to be good stewards. Now, you may not have sheep, but uh, you need to know the condition of your house if it's not going to fall around your ears in 15 years because you were unaware that termites were chomping on the on the wood. You've got to know the condition of the, the vehicles. They're all stewardship and trustment from the Lord, and we've got to be taking care of it uh, for His glory as well. Okay, so it's important to know the condition of your inventory. If you turn back a couple of chapters, here's the next point. Proverbs 24 shows that we need to give an account for our labor. Now, there's many passages talk about this, an accounting of, of people in a business that are working for you. How is this labor apportioned? But this is simply your own labor and how well you use it. And I won't comment much on that. Proverbs 24, beginning at verse... 30, I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding, and there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, so shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. This is dealing with the reallocation of our labor. What things are we going to be spending our time and our energies on um, but we should not only account for our assets and our labor but also for our time in Psalm 90 verse 12 Moses prays to God so teach us to number our days now two facts here first of all we're not supposed to just number our dollars the Bible says we're to number our time and that does not just deal with our planning and our schedule it also deals with efficiency okay efficiency is a very important part the second fact is that (coughs) uh, this does not come automatically. It's something that we need to be taught. We need to be taught by the Lord through his word. We need to look to other people who are more skilled than we are and say, how is it that you manage your time? And and it does relate to an accounting of our minutes. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Numbers chapter 1 has an interesting thing that Israel was called to number. And uh, keep account of and it was all able-bodied men over 20 years of age who could serve in the army and uh, Let me go ahead and read that for you It says take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families by their father's houses According to the number of names every male individually from 20 years old and above all who are able to go to war in Israel you and Aaron shall number them by their armies That's verses 2 through 3 Now, if Moses was to marshal these troops effectively into battle, he not only needed to know their makeup, he needed to know all kinds of details and throw through the rest of the book of Numbers, you'll find not only is there an accounting in terms of where they are apportioned, but there is also an accounting how many soldiers died on a given day, how many new 20-year-olds have come back into the army. Very clear accounting. Now, this brings up a very interesting question for... Eggheads like me, it's very interesting. I shouldn't presume upon what's interesting to you, I guess. But why is it that the census is commanded several times in the book of Numbers, but later on in David's history, he is actually trashed by the Lord for doing a census? Let me, let me read you uh, the one verse. First Chronicles 27, 24 says, wrath came upon Israel because of the census. All David was doing was numbering the people, 20 years old and above. He didn't number any below. Why was he getting in trouble? First Chronicles 21 records the story of that census, and it says that Joab knew that it was a sin, and he tried to talk David out of that sin, and he was unsuccessful, and so wrath came uh, upon Israel. So what's going on here? Is it a contradiction? And I would say absolutely not. There is no contradiction. God had no problem with David numbering his uh, huge military army earlier in his career He had no problem with his uh, numbering his now peacekeeping army, standing army, which was much smaller. Uh, There was no rebuke. It was now that there was no more war. He's conquered all the nations. It's a time of peace, and there's no more need for all of the people to be rallied for battle. That's when David was getting into trouble. And uh, the key point here is that Accounting for those men was no longer David's responsibility. Okay, here's the key point. Accounting should be co-expensive with all that you are responsible for. Uh, it's needed for accurate management and allocation of the scarce resources that God has entrusted to you. Now, why were kings forbidden to take a census of females? Uh, why were kings forbidden to take a census of those who were under 20 years of age? is because God had not entrusted to their care the allocation of those people to particular jobs. It was none of their business. It was not the king's responsibility. Okay, Our our accounting responsibility has to be coextensive with what our asset responsibility is from the Lord. And it was not something that belonged to them. It was only during times of emergency that God says, okay, during these times, we can, you are responsible to allocate and call the shots and give commands and even execute people who aren't uh, doing uh, as they should be in the Army. But it's during times of emergency, then you need to be accounting for what you're responsible for. So when in America we have a census that not only takes account for uh, how many people live in your house, but also how many bedrooms you have and how many bathrooms and ad infinitum, we had the long form that we had to fill out. What, in effect, the, the government is saying, because they're accounting for these things, is they're saying they've got authority over those things, okay? They've got the responsibility to allocate those resources. And that is why the, new, the, the Old Testament was so strong that the government was not, during times of peace, uh, to have a census of uh, those who are 20 years old and above. Accounting has to be coextensive with what we're responsible for. Now there's other areas, Leviticus has many passages showing how we need to be taking very careful measurements and analysis and reporting of infectious diseases. For example, on skin diseases, it says that they were to look from day to day on any changes of color and on the size and the spread of the size and the spread to the rest of the body. Okay, so God says accounting is something that's very legitimate when it comes to certain types of infectious diseases. Now, this could get actually kind of old if I went through all of the things that uh, the Bible says we're to do an accounting for. I just want to give you two more. Uh, Proverbs 21, verse 20 says, We should keep accounts of what we have in store in our house by way of groceries. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. And we need to ask ourselves, okay, uh, am I... Am I uh, do I have a good accounting system for what's been used and what needs to be purchased or am I always Going back to the grocery store. It's an inefficient use of time when we do that And I won't spend a lot of time uh, on that one more example Revelation 3 says Because you say I am rich have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched Miserable poor blind and naked now here was a church that was very good at accounting finances Okay pretty well-off church, and they felt that they were pretty put together, but they had never learned how to apply those accounting principles to their spiritual life. They didn't even recognize where they were at spiritually, had no idea. He says, you don't even know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And without spiritual accounting, it's hard to know how much we've grown from last year to this. That's why 1 Corinthians 11 says before we come to the Lord's table, we need to do self-examination. That's why Galatians 6, 4 says, But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. He's basically saying he wants us to have rejoicing in the things that are happening. If you set goals for yourself, let's say you only meet 30% of your goals, 20%. That's terrific. Some people get discouraged over that, but if you've set clear goals of how you want to improve and you've met 20%, 30%, you've grown since last year. You can rejoice in the progress that is has been made uh, in your life. Uh, so the bottom line is financial accounting needs to be seen in the context of the accounting of our whole life, okay? And the Bible has a lot more to say about accounting than we're gonna take the time for uh, today, just as an example of the 40 parables that I looked up of, uh, of Christ, 11 of them explicitly, right on the surface, very highly deal, deal with accounting principles, and there are several others that assume accounting principles uh, within them (coughs) so accounting is not just for accountants now I'm going to be applying this the rest of the the sermon to uh, finances but I've given this background because I want you to see okay I can take these principles and I can apply them to my spiritual life to my family to our education and other things that the Lord's going to hold me accountable for okay Let's look at the reasons why we need to have an accounting system. And I'm going to try to build argument after argument why we just have to change our ways. We've got to be uh, better about this. The first reason is we can't even tithe. We don't know what to tithe if we've not been accounting. Deuteronomy 14:22, you shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. Other passages say tithe on increase of the cattle. And and, and, and things like that. Now, how can you possibly know what to tithe if you don't know what you've put in and what you have pulled out? For example, you've put five bags of wheat into the ground in the spring, and in the, in the, in the fall, you pull back out 100 bags of wheat. That's a terrific increase that the Lord has given. You don't tithe on the whole 100. You subtract the five, and you, so you've got 95 bags of increase. That's what you tithe on. You might say, well, why is that important? Um, You could tithe on the whole hundred if you wanted to, but the reason it's important, if you put five bags in it's a time of drought and you're pulling back five bags at the end of the year, you're you're not even breaking even, there has been no increase. You don't tithe on that. No, you can, but you're not required to tithe on that, okay? And it gets even more complicated than that because the scripture says that we can subtract out what the locust has eaten and what the cattle have, uh, what cattle have uh, died uh, just as an example, you know, if you've got a herd of cows, but you're not brainy enough to put a bull in amongst them, uh, and you're tithing on that herd that's not multiplying year after year, eventually you're not going to have a herd, right? I mean, it just makes uh, common sense. But without basic accounting, there's no way that we can know uh, what the increase is that we're supposed to be tithing on. Now, Matthew 23:23 passage that I put up there shows that Christ is interested in accuracy even in the smallest details. It is not legalism. It is accounting accuracy. Nobody thinks of an accountant as a legalist, you know, if he's keeping his books well. I don't think of my wife as a legalist, you know, if she balances her checkbook. And, uh, and yet somehow we think if we're accurate in the spiritual realm, we're legalists. No, not at all. Christ in that passage did not rebuke the Pharisees for tithing on the anise and the cumin and the other spices that were in their gardens. Uh, what he did is he said, you ought to have done that and not left the other undone. He says, the weightier matters of the law, you totally neglect it. Yes, do the tithing of the anise and the mint and the cumin. You ought to do that. He uses an imperative, but don't leave the other undone. And so Christ is very interested in our tithing on all the increase. How many of you tithe on your garden? Uh, You don't have to raise your hands. But I think, you know, I've never thought about that in the past. And Christ says, yeah, all of your increase, we ought to tithe on. It's simply a matter of accounting. Anyway, let's move on. Second reason is that it helps to force us to live within our means and to do so efficiently And I'm going to pull several principles out of this one. So if you turn to Luke 14 Five principles we're going to look at here Luke 14 and let's begin reading at uh, verse 28 For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it lest Now, Jesus applies this to the issue of discipleship. And that's a marvelous lesson all on its own. We're not going to deal with that. What I want to point out is if this illustration of discipleship is to be valid at all in the realm of discipleship, it's got to be valid in the realm of management of our assets. Okay? So we're going to apply the area of the assets. We're not going to apply today the area uh, uh, as, as he does in, in um, uh, discipleship. Five things necessary. First issue that's necessary is clear plans. Accounting makes no sense if there is no direction, no purpose for the accounting. And so verse 28 says, for which of you intending to build a tower, okay, there's an intention, there. there's a purpose, there's a plan of building this tower that the accounting is going to help out with. In verse 31, it gives another plan. It's related to a king protecting the citizens in his country. Okay, he knows fighting is not the only option uh, to maintain peace. He can make compromises as well, and his plan is, perhaps, it includes other things, but his plan is, how can I maintain peace in my nation, save the maximum number of lives and still stay on the throne, and he may have to make some compromises in order to achieve his plan, but he is governed by that plan. Noah had to use accounting when he was building his ark, but it was accounting that reflected God's plan, not something else. Nehemiah was building his wall. He was driven by that plan, and if he was not clearly controlled by that plan, it would have been so easy to get diverted off into spending his people resources, his time, his energies in other directions. In fact, that's what happens to us a lot of times. You know, we, We've got a plan to do something, and then something else interesting comes up, and it kind of diverts it. Uh, In fact, well, our children would never do this. Uh, Your children would never do this, but a lot of times children are this way. They they want a bike, 200 bucks, and they're saving up to get this bike. And uh, they go to the store, and they see something for five bucks. Oh, this looks very interesting. So they spend five bucks here, and they've got 20 bucks over here, and they never end up getting the bike because they're not driven by their plan to get the bike and so they're constantly being diverted in different directions you see you see what i'm getting at there so clear plans very very important for the building of that tower clear plan second there has to be accurate estimates of costs and risk before you start implementing the plan and the reason well obvious you want to know if it's achievable or not what kind of sacrifices you're going to have to make in order to achieve that goal uh, in our um, uh, Dominion Business Discussion Group that uh, Ken has been leading, we've been going through a book by Thomas Sowell, and he defines economics as the use of scare, scarce resources which have alternative uses. Okay, there's alternative uses. I I want to do this tower, build this tower, but in order to do this tower, I can't spend it on alternative things. I've chosen this alternative use for. The spending of my money and uh, we are faced with that uh, all the time there are sacrifices when you allocate your resources toward a project because it means you can't use those same things in a dozen other areas and so there's more than economic cost there's cost to your desire okay because you're gonna have to put your desire for uh, uh, other things, you know, it's deferred gratification for other projects so I can get this project accomplished. It's going to be sacrifices to your patients as you have to put other plans on hold. Uh, there are going to be sacrifices or costs of time, human resources, goodwill. I mean, think of the people whose vision is now blocked by this tall tower. They're going to be ticked off, okay? So you've got to factor even in the costs of goodwill that's out there. And that's why verse 28 uh, says, does not sit down first and count the cost. And the more, nobody can know the future perfectly, we always make mistakes, but the more accurate you are in estimating the costs and estimating the risks, the more prosperous you'll be. Third issue is looking at what available assets that you have. You need the plan, you need to estimate the cost, then you have to say, okay, do I have sufficient assets to be able to accomplish it? So verse 28 at the end says, whether he has enough to finish it, okay? Now, you may be able to make guesstimates in your head for some of the things that you're doing. But over the course of the year, it's impossible to do that. You have to have some kind of a system of accounting. Now, it's not just assets, but precise timing is also important. Verse 29, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish. And we'll just stop there. And then verse 32, we see the timing issue is that the king has to figure out whether he's going to win or lose. And he has to figure it out before the other guy figures it out because it says here in verse uh, 33 you know verse 32 or else while the other is still a great way off he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace you know (laughs) that guy is going to be far less motivated to negotiate a peace treaty with me when he's right at my wall He can have it okay but if he's a long ways off and he's still got other countries to conquer and you can save him time and number of soldiers being killed and other resources, he's going to be much more motivated. And so the timing issue is a, is a very important part of this. And to be able to make intelligent decisions on our return on investment or whatever it may be uh, relative to time, we've got to have accurate accounting. Accounting helps us to figure all that out. And then finally, there's the public reputation and credibility that you have. Uh, people who don't aren't good at accounting. Whether it's people resources or it's other things, what ends up happening <coughs> is they they promise, you know, a project and they're always late on these projects. Maybe they never come through on that project. In fact, Keith um was sharing how you know they got a subcontractor that that uh has had a problem in this very in this very area. And uh in verses twenty nine through thirty you see these people mocking, mocking the contractor. Do you think that contractor is gonna get very much work? Uh, In that uh, particular town or village probably not. I mean his credibility is just shot to pieces and so uh, accounting is something that enables us to Be able to to manage our resources in such a way we have credibility with others So here's one of eleven parables that calls for good accounting practices We're only going to probably look at two two or three of them. There's a lot of principles. I've chosen to neglect Uh, We're gonna have to hurry on first reason We need accounting. You can't even tithe without it. Second uh, reason is that accounting forces you to live within your means. And there's a lot of Christians. They go off and they spend things on credit that they don't have the means to be paying for. Well, accounting would help you to check that out. Third reason that we should learn accounting is that it helps us to anticipate the future. Proverbs 22.3 says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Um, most translations translate the word evil as um, a calamity or disaster. Uh, here's how the New English Bible renders it. The shrewd man sees trouble coming and lies low. The simple walk into it and pay the penalty. Now, there's two things could be said here. First of all, <clears throat> it is possible, according to this passage, to anticipate problems in the future that could affect us economically. It is, if it was not possible, at least in some measure, then there'd be no point in investing money. Every investment you make would have equal risk, and there would be, you know, there, there just would be no point. And in fact, if there was no risk, uh, I think that the, uh, the, 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 the unfaithful steward in Matthew 25 would have been praised by Christ, OK? A lot of people are very, very uh, skeptical about the ability to see problems in the future. In fact, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal this past week that was kind of poking fun at this. They've been doing this now for, I don't know, probably two or three years. Uh, they'll take six months of uh, um, predictions by some of the financial accountants, gurus. Did you see that, Ken, in the Wall Street And uh, they'll compare that to somebody just throwing a dart at the dartboard with a Wall Street stuck up there, and they'll invest in whatever the dart hits. And uh, they said, second time again, you know, the dartboard way outperformed, you know, these gurus. Now I may say something about those gurus, but don't use the dartboard method, okay? (laughs) Dartboard gave them 18% there, but uh, you know, it's kind of a fluke. Some of the the gurus uh, lost a bunch of money. But there are some people who simply will not invest because they say nobody can know the future. They just don't bother. And if that attitude was godly, then Christ, I think, as I mentioned, would have, would have um, praised the unfaithful steward. And he didn't. He did not call him wise. He said that he should have invested his money, or if he couldn't handle that risk, at least put it into the bank where it could have gained some interest. Is what Christ said and in terms of this series on the Christian and prosperity listen to what Christ says Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents This just doesn't seem fair to a lot of people because our fairness is governed by socialism today not by Biblical economics, but it says take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents for to everyone who has More will be given and he will have abundance And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. You simply cannot prosper in the endeavors you're engaging in if you don't in some way anticipate some of the potential problems that could come up in the future. And I find it interesting at the beginning of the parable that Jesus does not give the most money to the people who have been the poorest investors okay he gives the least money to the person who has the least skills one talent he didn't write a month he says okay I'll, I'll i'll give you a chance i'll let you invest but when we are persistent in being poor in the handling of the stewardship trust that the lord has given to us god says okay i'm just going to take it away from you you can be poor the rest of your life i'm going to give it to somebody who's going to handle these resources in a wise and a responsible way you read the parable sometimes exactly what christ says And so the third reason why accounting is important is that it helps us to anticipate the future Proverbs 22 verse 3 a Fourth reason for perfecting your accounting Is it enables you to be more effective in allocating scarce resources to alternative uses turn with me to Matthew 13? if you would Five parables actually in this uh, chapter that at least in some way deal with accounting I'm only going to look at verses 44 through 46 Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over it Goes and sells all that he has and buys that field Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price Went and sold all that he had and bought it now in each of those parables what the merchant does is he sells something to free up money resources to be able to buy something that is of greater value, okay? That's one thing common to both of those. He wasn't collecting just for the sake of collecting. Now, when we don't have accounting, our collector's instinct many times tends to take over, and we just start collecting without evaluating which is more important, okay? We're not quite as ready to free up some resources to be able to buy something valuable because we're just, We want to hang on to everything that we have. And what happens is far from getting richer, such an instinct actually stifles creativity. It eliminates resourcefulness. It promotes greed. And I think the worst part of it uh, of all is that it ties up resources that could be used more effectively in other ways. Now, with accounting, we get a better grasp of the relative value of things. We make informed decisions like these men here did. Uh, we can get rid of um, things that maybe aren't as great of value at any given time. In fact, uh, Sean's doing this with bicycles all the time, isn't he? You know, he's uh, getting rid of one that's of lesser value so that he can, he can trade up. I mean, that's all that, that it's talking about there. Revelation 3.18. Let's apply this in spiritual areas. Revelation 3.18. Actually, every area is spiritual, okay? That's, that's a faulty way of speaking we have to handle our money in a spiritual way that counts for eternity, okay? That's maybe the way we should say it. Revelation 3.18 rebukes the church of Laodicea for failing to see that eternal riches are far more valuable than earthly riches, and therefore of failing to allocate some of the physical resources in such a way that it would pay spiritual dividends, eternal dividends, uh, that uh, it would uh, give spiritual growth, advance Christ's kingdom, and he counsels them to buy from him spiritual gold Refined in the fire that you may be rich in white garments. Actually. I was reading in my devotions this morning in uh, Luke chapter 12 Where he was talking about uh, Our if our assets that we are collecting physically if that's the ultimate treasure for us We have totally missed the boat in terms of our uh, the prosper uh, the Christian and prosperity totally missed the boat the reason God is putting assets into our 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 lives and and prospering us is because he trusts us to use those things to better advance his kingdom That's the reason that he does that. But let me just read this for you. Luke chapter 12 31 through 34 But seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. That's our primary goal We've got to seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you Do not fear little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom sell what you have and give alms okay there are times where we say this is not something that's essential but there is an important need right now and i'm going to use this for that particular need sell what you have give alms provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches nor moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will be also that's the key verse verse 34 and so if your treasure is just in the accumulation of things down here below at the end of your life, you're going to realize, what a waste. What a waste. I had a whole lifetime to be preparing for eternity, to be accomplishing things that would last. What a waste. So we need to be very careful when we're, when we're, um, when we're thinking about that. Now there's a lot more we could say about Matthew 13, but let's uh, turn to the next one. Proverbs 24, if you'd turn there. <clears throat> Proverbs 24, it's the fifth reason for accounting. It helps us to make priorities. Make priorities. And I'm not going to comment a lot on this one. It says, prepare your outside work, make it fit for yourself in the field, and afterward, build your house. Now, the idea here is that there are prerequisites to accomplishing later things. One version, however you interpret this, uh, one version interprets it this way, first work your farm and till the soil, then marry and set up a house. So if that's the proper application, he's saying you've got to have a certain number of things to be able to support the families. You've got to do this before you do this other thing. Okay? And priorities for how we reallocate our scarce resources, it's seen across the board of economics. And accounting helps you to determine what those priorities should be. Please turn to Luke chapter 16. I'm trying to hurry on here. Luke chapter 16. <clears throat> and I'm going to take the sixth and the seventh reasons from here. I'm not going to read the whole parable, but if you look at verse 10, uh, Christ draws out a <clears throat> an application here. It says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least, Is unjust also in what is much now some people might think you know why should I bother with accounting you know I can handle things quite well without having to manage books I hardly have any money anyway why should I do accounting but the whole point of this series is I want each one of you to be so blessed by the Lord even in terms of finances that you're going to need to do accounting back then well why not start right now okay why not learn the disciplines of accounting at this point, because if you're not faithful now, why should the Lord assume you're going to be faithful later? It prepares us for greater responsibilities. Okay? But the seventh reason is given in verse 11. It says, Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, let let me just, mammon is an Aramaic word that means money. Okay? That's all it means. And unrighteous mammon, uh, I think, is better translated, and some of the versions have it that way, the mammon of the unrighteous. In other words, he's dealing with We've got a wicked economy out here, a lot of unbelievers, and you're working and interacting with them and your investments and things like that. But he says, if you have not been faithful in the mammon of the unrighteous, who will commit to your trust the true riches? He says, there is a, there is a relationship between how you handle money and how you handle your spiritual life. Okay? There, there's an interrelationship uh, between the two the principles of accounting transfer over. If you've not been faithful in the man. applies us for true riches. Now, there are um, other reasons that could be given as to why we should be committed to this. The passage we started with uh, in Ezra 8 uh, that we first read shows that accounting helps keep us honest in our stewardship. And that honesty is not just in terms of stealing. You know, we can be tempted to steal if uh, we don't have some kind of accountability. But honest in other areas. For example, uh, you go to the store and you see a motorcycle or you see some other things. Oh, man, I'd love to have that. I can afford that, I think. And maybe you're going to go into debt on that. But then you look at your accounting, and you realize, oh, I guess to be honest, I really can't afford that. It helps to keep us honest because what it's done is it's objectified. If we just have it in our heads, we are so prone to self-deception. So I think that's an important reason as well. You can think of other applications. Another reason given is it's a blessing to our wives and children if our houses are in order when we die. God said to Amos, Set your house in order, for you shall die. Now God is a God of order. And when we die, he wants us to make sure we have prepared Uh, our spouse and our children to be able to not be just totally blown apart and so we need to ask the question does your wife know where to find the bank books the birth certificates the tax records the mortgage papers the insurance papers? or if the wife's keeping the books does the husband know where to find all of those things you know should the wife die I mean we need to be communicating and keeping each other abreast of that another reason we'll end with this is Romans 14 accounting prepares us to give an account to the Lord. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. You read Matthew 25. Did I put the specific verses? Yeah. Matthew 25, 26 sometime. And you'll see that Christ says on judgment day, we are going to have to answer for every one of the scarce resources that God has entrusted to our hands. Our whole life's going to flash before our eyes. And we're going to see where we have failed. And if we've already been used to accounting for everything that we do, then I think we're going to have a lot greater confidence of receiving God's well done, you good and faithful servant. And so that's the final reason. I'm not going to bore you with any more. I've probably been beating a dead horse already for the last five minutes. But uh, with all of the commands that are given in the Scripture to engage in accounting, with all of the reasons that the Scripture gives as incentives, It's my prayer that you'd go home and say, we need to, not today, okay, tomorrow, that you would uh, say, we need to get our books in order. We need to start really working on this. I still need to improve. But if over the course of our life we're improving and we're training our kids young, just think of the dividends that will be paid from this. It's um, my prayer that God would receive the glory from this and that God would entrust even greater resources, greater riches into your hand because you are being faithful with what he's already given. Amen. Father God, I thank you for all of these scriptures. And uh, I've probably given way too much material in one session this morning, but I just pray that you would take this word that is planted and uh, that uh, you would bring a harvest and you would encourage the hearts of these people, Father, as they get more organized in terms of their finances to uh, to, to really find joy in seeing, yes, there are places as they analyze the facts where they could be more efficient. And there are places in which they need to reallocate some of the scarce resources. Only you can give the wisdom needed, Father, for these areas. And so we ask for your wisdom. We can, we can read these principles but Father, we need you to help us to apply it in the nitty-gritty of life. And so I pray that you would bless this, your people, with your illumination, and uh, the stick-to-itiveness that is required. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.